This episode is sponsored by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Everyday Running Shoe, which I was lucky enough to head out to Barcelona and see being unveiled at its launch and to chat to athletes like Sharon Nakidi, who won the New York Marathon a few years ago, who does all of her easy and steady runs in this pair of shoes. And then we've set Jess from The Running Channel a very specific challenge to train for 12 weeks for her fastest, hopefully, ever 10K, which is also back out in Barcelona. Yeah, she is loving training in this shoe. And I think it's important as well because we're so lucky we get to test lots of different shoes. But we do know that some people just want that one pair that will do everything. So Jess has been doing her long runs, interval sessions, and she will be tackling the final 10K in the Under Armour Infinite Elite shoes. Yeah, big focus on endurance and a brand new foam, which provides extra energy return and looks after you on even your longest runs. So if you want to know more, head to the link in the show notes. You are listening to the Running Channel podcast with me, Andy Badley, my co-host, Little Miss Windy Pops, Sarah Hartley, (laughs) (laughs) and over there in the corner, Rick Kelsey, pressing buttons. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, yeah, yeah, Sarah is a regular, uh, a regular (laughs) run farter. I can't believe you said that out loud. (laughs) Little Miss Windy Pops. Well, I, she's not is that bothered. actually one of the Little Miss or no, Mr. Men No, it's not, it's not a Little no, Miss book. It's not, it should have Tell been. you what, that's should a gap in the market. So hey, whilst, look, I'm proud. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go away and write that book. Great. <laughs> and now Crack we should do on. a podcast. This is why they don't always let me do the intros. <laughs> Let's dive in. I love how, Andy, you're, you find that funny. Yeah, like, I was laughing. So, you're so proud of yourself. I was, I was laughing as I thought of it about five minutes ago and then yeah. we had to wait for all the cameras to get set up and I for thought, context the reason that I'm not actually reacting to that that much is because so my last name is Hartley oh. uh oh, when back in the day when I was at school I made a joke with a balloon and ever since then I was known as Sarah Fartley uh, I've spoken to some of your friends from school and they said that's not the true story at all <laughs> oh really yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. I promise they, they, they said that hey, there was look, five once- years of smelling like cabbage <laughs> Eat your broccoli, kids. <laughs> <laughs> she deals with it with such dignity, Andy. I think normally it's me, it's me um, having to take a lot of the uh, a lot of the flack. So I just wanted to start this podcast on a different on a different note before different it all note. comes back to me. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, good. But and speaking about me, we're going to talk about running a sub four minute mile as well, which is something very close to my heart. That's what the episode mm. is all about today, um, as well as a couple of news stories and then getting on to answering the questions that have been sent into us at podcast at the So if you do ever want to have your questions answered on here, then please do email in. Firstly, though, how's everyone's week of running been? Oh, I had my gait analysed this week. Did you? Yeah. How was it? Uh, um, you two must have heard it loads of times, I imagine. I... But- uh, no, only once. No, mm. when you go when you go in a machine, they then film you. They sh- then show you where your feet are making contact with yeah. the ground, and they do it from both sides. And basically, the aim when you have gait analysis is that you can be as symmetrical as possible, yes. especially if you've previously had an injury. Not that I've had you know anything major. Well, you've never mentioned it. I definitely wouldn't mention it if I did anyway. Um, and yes, yeah, so, well, I watched it back, and it's absolutely fascinating so then they then analyze your gait and then they tie you up with the type of shoes as in you know heel to toe drop uh mm. height of the stack that will actually fit with your gait i've i was really skeptical of gait analysis yeah having had it done and looked at how your legs work i would recommend it to anyone it's well, not like you to be skeptical of science and objective reasoning <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. I had a I had a similar thing recently where we filmed a video with Manny that will be coming out, might already be out actually, yeah. where he basically went through a runner's MOT with me looking at 
for anyone, MOT, is that a universal thing? It's yeah, it not. is. Yeah. I don't know whether they have them in the US, but that's, that's what your car needs to go through in order to be road like legal. Service. It's, it's, it's yeah. that, it sounds for Ministry of Transport, doesn't it? I think MOT. Does it? Yeah, yeah. Well, basically, it, he, did a full, he did a full service on me. And <laughs> Hello, hello, hello. Little Miss Windy Pops. This is a chart. This is a you know. This is a family-friendly <laughs> podcast, Sarah. I hate doing this with you both. Um, he basically went through like all of my kind of mechanics, okay. how I'm working. One yeah. thing that I found really interesting though is that I have on my right foot. Uh, for as long as I can remember, I've always had a bit of a bunion. So like mm. next to my big toe, a bit Stop of with the sexy talk. In the foot. first four minutes, you've really sold yourself <laughs> to potential suitors here on the Running Channel podcast. Uh, if this, this was a dating pod, yeah. at the moment, you'd have a pretty low score. Hey, well. uh, yeah, this is my hinge profile. Um, and on the side of my foot, it sticks out. And I just always thought that that was a kind of I don't know, like a genetic mm, thing. Yeah. Um, I remember at school, some of my friends' mums, you know, had bunion surgery yeah. to get it off. And I thought like, oh, if it happens if you wear heels. But I was like, I've never really worn heels. Yeah. Mm. Manny was like, oh no, this is, this will be down to how you run. Oh, interesting. And you're, I'm definitely going to misquote him. So watch the video. But basically if you're putting loads of pressure towards that side of your foot, then it can cause basically a buildup. So he was like, okay. you really need to sort that out and kind of strengthen your leg muscles. So is this on the foot. inside or the outside of your foot? The inside. The inside, like on the ball of your toe. Oh, joint. Okay. Yeah. 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 So next to my yeah. big toe, which I found fascinating. Yeah, so, so definitely don't go, just go and see physios. If you are injured, go before, because you will save yourself so much money later down the line yeah. because you're, you're preempting all of the things that could possibly go wrong. Cause I thought I am pretty much apart from like a uh, tail end of a back problem. Mm. I, I thought hip down. I'm so good. good. Neck. Yeah. Yeah. But no, no. And I've been doing car phrases wrong. Oh, you've been going forward. Haven't you? Mm. Not up and down. Absolutely impossible. I never thought I would be unable to do a car phrase. I did and notice that before we did a challenge together two weeks ago, but I didn't tell you because I wanted you to fail. <laughs> Oh, Rick, <laughs> absolutely brutal. <laughs> but yeah, Thanks, point... mate. Always supporting <laughs> me. I was going to tell you today right. and you've just done it for me. So <laughs> of fantastic. Of course you are, mate. The key notes, with right? heel, Ray. Yes. Uh, the key with, <laughs> key with phrases, up and down, not yeah, forward not or back. Forward. Yeah, mm. Andy, your week. Yeah. Uh, my week of running, um, I've tried to continue building up yeah. um, towards this marathon and I'm still finding it satisfying to have structure to my week. Like we often talk about that. And I think that's given me like a new impetus towards training because I now have stuff that I know I need to tick off each week as opposed to just like can I squeeze a run in oh yeah I'll just do this thing mm. actually knowing exactly what I'm doing going out the door and doing that thing and then finishing incredibly rewarding I have a mm. question yes. do you think your VO2 max is going to go up by the time you run a marathon I don't know because uh, I, I think so yes because the, the the variety of the training that I'm going to be doing does take into account that faster stuff mm -hmm. but the actual marathon pace stuff I don't know whether that whether that specifically would increase my VO2 max if that's all I was doing. Yeah. Without getting too much into it, Sarah, your VO2 max has gone up this week. It just, what, what that, that, was, that was my little... Oh, she's, so, she's teed it right at that. What's normal? Segue. You've just gone to 52, yeah. haven't you? I, yeah, I think yeah, I'm yeah. on 50. Oh, very oh, nice, right? Nice. What, what, what does that mean? Though? I'm not sure I want to know what Andy's on. Uh, mine is 61, I think. Of course it is. But oh, when I was competing, I'm, it would have been nearly... Is it higher the better? Yes. Nearly 80. Nearly, I didn't even say it. Did I? Did I say that out loud? And then you know, yeah, you're about nearly, to form. I was word. about to say nearly eighty. Yeah, nearly eighty. Yeah. Ugh. So, but but it's it's affected by body weight. So if you're, it's a number yeah. in terms of your aerobic capacity divided by your weight. So if your weight is lower, then your VO2 max will be higher. Well, how does my watch that, know what my weight is? 
You're like, <laughs> you oh my goodness me you do the biggest technophobia when you set up your watch in yeah, you up, and whatever it's yeah, all it's all inputted for you, you will have put your you know what after this i'll go into your watch we'll have a check and yeah and you check might you get, you check you might get a fibbing. lucky v8 or two things will happen it'll either go dramatically down or dramatically up 10 um so yeah that was that was um interestingly mine was about so coming out of university as a relatively well-trained runner, but not running enough really, um, and knocking on the doors to international teams, but by no means being anywhere near where I got to. My VO2 max was about 68 when I did a proper lab test. And I got that right the way up to nearly 80, right about around about 80 uh, by the kind of mm. at the peak of my career. So speaking of at the peak of your career, mm. at the peak of your career, you were able to run quite significantly under a four minute mile. Yes. What was your bestest my bestest mile <laughs> you're trying to trying to sort of do, do your, your best to diminish this by, what was your uh, bestest little mile time yeah 349 very nice my mile time. so under 350 was like a massive milestone for me having you know sub four minute mile is the famous thing mm -hmm. but then at, at international level in men's 1500 meters of miles running like under 350 was like a, a huge thing for me i was gonna use the word milestone but that's Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice fun there. The sub four minute mile for me was I first heard about it. I used to be a study skills teacher and I used to go into loads of different schools and I always used um, the sub four minute mile. We were given it as an example to use within the nature of studying because Roger Bannister, loads of people were trying to break the, yeah. the four minute mile for ages. And then the first time it happened, Roger Bannister broke it at Ifley Road, Oxford mm, track. Yeah, 1954, yeah. Within, I think it, I can't remember the stats now, but I think it was something like two months or four months later, another X amount of people had also broken yeah, it. A few others did do it within the, within a year. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, so I always use that as an example of like, go for something that seems impossible because yeah. as soon as one person's, as soon as you can see that you can do it, it, it falls into place. But you said an interesting stat about this. How more people have climbed Everest than I think have that's run a true, yeah. That's mile. incredible. Yeah. So, mm. yeah. That is, uh, that's remarkable, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, and it's this, it's the magic of that really round number, isn't it? It's not really fair because there are just as many talented women attempting the mile or 1500 meters, but there's not quite such a nice mark. Number. Yeah. Mm. And, yeah. And I think yeah. from my maths, it's probably around a 425 mile yeah. for women um, to have the same kind of be competing at roughly that level. What is the record for the mile for women? I should know this. Oh, but I for don't. women, they literally just said it the other day, um, which could have been a news story, but it wasn't because I was on holiday. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that, that it was 407 or 409, but that was a nice. huge leap forward. Yeah. It was like a five second world record. Nice. Um, and, and the men's world record is 340. 4.7. 344.7. The fastest one mile for a female is four minutes seven okay. seconds okay i got it right yeah incredible um see that to me is so exciting though because i know uh, i know you can look at it as like oh well for men's times you're, you're maybe getting close to the like 330 like imagine doing a sub 330 minute mile um, but actually i found that way more exciting than women are edging closer and closer to a sub four minute mile there's something there's something nice about a big round number isn't it Mm. yeah that, that, and that's the because it's totally arbitrary right it's what you said that, that mm. like no one thought they could do it and then all of a sudden Bannister did it and then several more people did it because yeah if you've run 401 you know four minutes is definitely you think it was is within reach yeah um and just you know the fact that they had to do it on a gravel track um and they were waiting around at Ifley Road famously for the flag to drop in the distance so they knew that there was no wind 
and they had pacemakers and, and all that sort of stuff, getting it perfectly right. They had it planned out. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a real magic to it, but I'm biased because it was what I grew up with mm. Cochran and Yvette from a British perspective, seeing their success globally um, and the, 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 that kind of magic of the um, Roger Bannister story and then my Oxford and Cambridge connections and mm-hmm. having raced on those tracks like it. Um, and actually, funnily enough, I raced, I was invited to, I was just about getting to the level where I got invited to this stuff I, I, in 2004, which was the 50, 50th anniversary of Bannister's Mile at Effley Road. They held a, a big meet where they'd invited loads of international runners. Mo was in that race, actually, I'm pretty sure, Mo Farah. Um, and uh, I was so excited. Biggest race I've been invited to on the start line, fell over. <laughs> oh, <laughs> before, no. before it started? No, I fell over as it started. Oh, no. Um, so did you not race it? I think, I can't remember whether did I got it finished or not. I can't remember. Um, but in it, the, in those races, just a, a fall. I think you're I basically did. out, aren't you? Yeah, I mean at the start, yeah. Like, and and I wasn't good enough. Later in my career, I probably could have handled a fall against certainly to get back into the middle of the pack, maybe. Yeah. Um, depending on the level of competition, in the Olympics or something, you game over if you fall over. Mm-hmm. But the the distinction of a mile is you start. It's this because of everything being metric. The track's four hundred meters, so a mile is sixteen hundred and nine. So you start nine meters back from the start finish line. You run that nine meters and then it's four laps from there. You start on a waterfall start, which I think we're, still, we're talking yeah. about recently yeah, on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Like the curve on the But track, that means yeah. that you've got, in, in a lot of men's races, they put too many people into them. They might have 15, 18 people on this, this eight lane track, all trying to get into lane one in the space of nine meters, which obviously <sighs> that doesn't, the math doesn't go. So it's, it's, more, it's more rugby for the first. Well, I know, mean, and I was seconds. really pathetic. So I ended up on the floor, yeah. Um, and then, so that was 2004. And then it wasn't until, um, actually maybe it was later that year that I then did breaks four minutes for the first time. Oh, really? Um, and how, and how many years did you consistently break four minutes for? I had, a, so I should have looked this up, shouldn't I, for the podcast, but I'm pretty sure. Just that go roughly. I, I think for 10 years consecutively, I, I run a sub four minute mile every year. That's pretty cool. Um, that is pretty good. Yeah. There's an incredible stat to, to. Maybe I shouldn't bring it up because it makes me sound a lot worse, but um, an amazing Kiwi runner who I competed against a lot, Nick Willis. I think he ran a sub four minute mile for 20 consecutive years. That's unbelievable. Um, absolutely incredible. But but yeah, I was really proud of that. And, and they got progressively faster and ran down to 349 in 2008 in uh, the Oslo Dream Mile, which is this famous yeah. track in, um, in Norway, the Bislett Games. Um, really cool stadium. A lot of more modern stadiums build the field events outside the track. So you're... I might have talked about this before, but so you're as a crowd further away from the running action on the track. Mm-hmm. But Oslo is an old stadium. And so lane eight of the track is right up against the crowd. And then like the long jump and, and triple jump pits and stuff. Oh, it's are, much are nicer when the crowd. Lane, yeah, much nicer one. that way. Yeah. Much nicer. Uh, but not, not much nicer if you're a long jumper. True. Um, but it's a bit like when you watch a football game and oh, there's it, a track it, between it, you and the pitch. You, yeah. it, it just distances you from the, the action so you don't feel quite as close to it. And it's mm. the same as an athlete being in lane one. Like it's it's not quite, so not at the 10,000s in Highgate, they let people right onto the track in lane three. Um, and it wasn't quite like that, but it's probably the closest thing I experienced where you're in lane, you're in running in lane one in the mile and mm. then, and then the, the track or the, the crowd are right on lane eight and they're a little bit raised up as well. So they feel like they're really on top of you. That's a really cool feeling. Nice. I want to ask now, mm-hmm. I want to put it into context because it's this, this, it's this incredible thing. We've heard some stats. How do you get to a sub four minute mile? What does it take? What does the training look like? Well, that's a, oh, I don't know where to start. So when I was a kid, I sort of, my Andy who coached me throughout my professional career didn't coach me as a kid. So he started coaching me when I was about 19. Uh, 1920. Um, I had an amazing coach called Dave Jeffs, who sadly is no longer with us through my teens. And he was amazing. 
um, for coaching that age group. And he broadly, he had very simple philosophies. And one of them was on the track, I'd do six times 400 meters mm-hmm. with a one minute recovery. Mm. Actually, we'd start with a longer recovery and then we'd bring it down throughout the season. And the idea was that whatever I could run six times 400 meters in with one minute recovery was what I could run what pace I could run for 1500 meters, which is the metric equivalent of the mile. So it's 109 meters short of, of the mile. Yeah. Um, and so that was like a predictor workout, I suppose. I think as you get faster and more senior, that number probably needs to be 10 times 400 meters um, to give you a more accurate representation of how, because you're getting that recovery. But broadly, that's what I did from the age of 13, probably every year for several weeks of the, the summer was like that same session on repeat to see if I could bring my recovery times down, bring my like lap times down, and then for a four minute mile, you're talking about under 60 seconds per lap. Because if you do, if you run 60 seconds exactly, one minute per lap, then mm. that's four minutes, but you've got the extra nine meters. Mm. So you've got to take that into account. That's, so that, That's interesting because it kind of goes against sometimes what we hear about training. So you're talking about doing the same session on repetition. So doing it every time. But yeah. we always talk about mixing up our training yeah. so our body doesn't get used to doing the same session because your body kind of figures it out. Yeah, and we would do that a little bit. So we would do it for a couple of weeks and then do a couple of sessions for another few weeks and then revisit it. But definitely it was a, this is, remember, this is like pre-internet. This is like Dave had a way that worked for, you know, 11 to 16-year-old kids that he'd kind of not stumbled across, but he had honed over years. Mm. And he was like, well, let's stick to what I know. And then you didn't have access to sports physiology or to... He, he did. He couldn't possibly know without literally phoning them up what other people were doing around the world to, yeah. to coach the same event or about without reading, you know, Peter Coe's book about how he trained Seb Coe. So then he would like, it was, I suppose it was fairly basic. And then that's what changed later in my career being coached by Andy is was much more variety. And then we would only occasionally dip back into those sessions. Yeah. Because as a kid, it probably doesn't bother you. But then once I was a professional, actually, I'd have found that quite dangerous. If you're doing the same session, which is a very clear indicator of exactly how fast you can run yeah. regularly. If you have a bad week, then mm. you're like, oh, oh no, like I'm nowhere near where I need to be. And that, that's psychologically difficult. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. How much of a four minute mile do you think is psychological versus physical because that for me would be the biggest that's what I'm struggling with at the moment for a sub 20 minute 5k is like that for me is so punchy so hard that actually if I'm not mentally ready on the start line I could be in the best physical shape of my life and I have not got a chance of doing it I think it's hugely mental so like uh, a lot I did a lot of work when I was going into races where uh, my psychologist would say well you know there's 12 of you on that start line and probably seven or eight of them have already taught themselves out of the fact that they can win this. That's mm. fascinating. Um, mm. and, and then the same thing, like uh, silly things, but the uh, we were joking about um, bodily functions earlier, but like being on the start line with 11 other people and, and having someone remind you, oh, that person had to go to the toilet before they raced today. Or like that person, like uh, definitely more crudely put than that by the various people I spoke to. Mm. But that'd be a good reminder because I was like, oh yeah, they have the same, they're just humans. They're not up on this pedestal as this superstar that I might have seen having run a world record or whatever it might be. Same for you in your 5K. Mm. The people around you that are running 19 minute 5K, they're no different to you. They're lacing up in the same way. They're, they're having to go out in the rain. They're having to like do normal stuff. So don't talk yourself out of it. I think a huge amount of it is psychological. Interesting. How are you getting on with that, Sarah? So hard. So hard. So hard. Yeah. Sub 20 minutes. Yeah. That for me is, uh, this is going to be my other question as well. 
the so sub 20 minutes is something that I had as like a very distant bucket list mm. goal I'm not sure if I could ever get there but how if anyone is listening to this and they're like oh could I what is what are the credentials for being able to run a sub four minute mile like because it it's not within everyone's wheelhouse is it no it's so it's, it's a it was a very specific goal for a distance for which I'd been training for my mid-teens mm-hmm. um, and I'd obviously been doing athletics since I was like 10 or 11 so yeah. there was a lot of years of speed and different types of training and, and being comfortable on the track and stuff like that um, but yeah I think you have to be able to run a I, I can't think of some specific examples but you'd have to be able to run a 200 meter so half a lap of the track in in sort of 26 seconds comfortably um, you have to be able to run very close to 50 seconds for a 400 meter um all out effort obviously those sound a lot faster than the pace you actually need to run at yeah but you need to do you think that's a good place to start if it, if anyone's like oh how far away am i from this you yeah just start off with like okay we'll break it because actually that's how that's kind of how i started really chipping away at 5k times was i went okay i would have to do 5ks at this mm. pace yeah. can i do one yeah, and that's a really good way of putting it into perspective. Actually, my friends at university did exactly that. When I was training to try and break myself first sub four, they were like so intrigued by it. And they were fit footballers, rugby players, you know, other sports people and did a bit of running. Mm-hmm. And, they were, and they challenged themselves. They came down with me one day to see if they could do one lap. And I know we've done this at the running channel as well. So could they yeah. do one lap at the pace I'm trying to run a mile? And the answer was no for all of them. By quite a long way, like, you know, five, 10 seconds too slow for one lap. Yeah, And then I think all of a sudden... I'm not saying they didn't respect what I was trying to do, but that does give you the. They, they realised what a what a size of a task it was. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 uh, that's why more people have gone up Everest, I guess. Um, so hopefully that's a little insight. Into yeah, it. I found that super interesting. If you're listening to this and you're thinking like, oh, I wonder how far away I am, then obviously warm up, warm <laughs> yeah. up yeah. Um, and try like in your next track session if you've got two hundreds or four hundreds. Or even just, yeah, yeah just in your strides, get. just just clock, clock 100 meter strides on the track. Yeah. And, and so we're talking somewhere between 14 and a half and 15 seconds for 100 meters. Well, when I was running 349, it's quicker than that. <sighs> very so. fast. Very fast. Thanks. But very interesting. Well done, Andy. <laughs> Thank you. That yeah. is the closest you will ever get to us being impressed. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Just. Just, just about. Just, okay. just about. Just. Um, you're listening to the Running Channel podcast. Up next, we've got a new story from the world of running. Plus, we've got your questions to answer. Don't forget this episode is sponsored by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Shoes. Now at The Running Channel, we bang on all the time about how if you want to run fast, you need to run slow. I'm talking about the 80-20 rule. Yes, you need to do the vast majority of your training at an easier or steadier pace. And you need an everyday pair of running shoes that you trust to do that. And the Infinite Elite has brand new cushioning technology in the form of Under Armour's Hover Plus. So that's designed to support you for the whole of even your longest runs with extra cushioning and energy return. So that's what this is all about. About. Yeah, and if you want to check out the Under Armour Infinite Elite, head to the link in the show notes. Up next, we've got your questions, which we're going to answer. So please do keep emailing into podcast at com. But first, Sarah, what have you got for us from a news perspective? I listened to a very interesting podcast over the last week, and I have a question, oh, which yeah. is odd for the news. Yeah. Would you want to live forever? Yeah. Rick? I, I take about 130. Very specific. <laughs> yeah. So that's another 100 well, years from now, Because well, right? then my face will start to fall. And <laughs> well, I, I don't think I could deal with that. So you yeah. say that. I was listening to a podcast with Brian Johnson, who uh, in 2021 set up Project Blueprint, which is basically the one sole objective, don't die. 
and he is trying with an it's amazing my main objective most days. <laughs> yeah, same. But his sole objective is that it's to see like how long can we can he carry on existing. Um, but I found it so interesting because uh, one, I, they didn't really mention exercise that much. In, really, within it was a two-hour-long conversation. How's his face? Beautiful. Really? Yeah. Does he have more products than me? Yeah, I was going to say, well, I mean, so you're, you're putting a 100 year limit on how long you can be bothered to uh, endure <laughs> yeah, that skincare regime. Yeah. In the it takes me two hours his, to sit down. So his morning routine, he has a bedtime of 8.30 every single day. His sleep score, which I found this was the most interesting, has been like 99.6% for the Gosh. last four months. He takes 111 pills every morning that can't as be part healthy. of his routine. And he, pills. And he yeah. stops eating at 11 a.m. If this guy kind of corks it in five years' time, we'll know that this is all nonsense, though. Yeah, but it's interesting. Yeah, it's not scientific, he... is it? That's the impossible thing when it's just one person. Well, so this is the thing. He's saying that you can't be objectively scientific about an entire human race. No, so none enough. of the stuff that he was giving was like everybody should stop, should have their last meal at 11 a.m. or like everyone mm. should go to bed at 8.30 because this is what I find it... I find it... I buy into this stuff. Mm. Like I've read tons of articles of like, follow this celebrity's mm. diet routine or yeah. like follow this person's skincare routine. Actually, what he's done is he has asked every single like organ in his body, basically, what do you want in order to survive? Like what's going to get you to their best? And that's what he's following. So he's trying to take the, there's a kind of the epitome of science in each different area. And yeah, like because he was saying like the human brain sabotages itself. Like how many people you know, go, oh, okay, I, I really want to be like fit and healthy. Mm. And then actually your brain is the one telling you um, like, oh, let's sacrifice sleep so we can go out with our friends or is like, oh, fun? let's eat yeah. junk food. But that's the question, sir. Does he have a fun life? I mean, I can't imagine this guy has a couple of bottles of Gavi on a Friday. He did it? actually start off his perfect routine with having three ounces of wine with breakfast. But then he realized <laughs> that it was too much of a calorie sacrifice to continue drinking oh right oh, incredible Almost so, I, I want to just just to, to, to go off on a just to go off on a total tangent i i know a little bit about wine i'm definitely not a wine connoisseur is gavi like a famous wine you mention it all the time <laughs> I, I, I don't like it's like 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 everyone listening to podcasts either is like totally in the know about wine and they're like oh yeah rick loves his gavi that's gavi or is that is it just a you thing it's just a very good italian grape okay. very good wine it's kind of medium range but it goes with everything you know right, it can go see. with chicken seafood meat. <laughs> okay. and you this know, Rick is it, why you will not be living to 130 exactly there we go yeah, <laughs> but I think Two it's an interesting question like how much would you be willing to sacrifice in order to live longer yeah um, it's the 830 thing that's the biggest one for me yeah not mm. the tablets or the down drinking it's yeah yeah 830 the kids are in bed and then I've got two hours then of like oh this is my time and sometimes that might just be tidying often it is but even that's like listening to a podcast, so that's time to myself. So yeah, I'd, I'd need that unwinding time. Interesting. Andy, what's your news story? So this is a Running Channel news story. So this episode, as you're listening to it, the World Championships will have started in Budapest. Mm. And next weekend's podcast is a very special one. It's both a video and an audio one. Rick, Sarah and I will all be out in Budapest. We'll have a chance to speak to some of the best athletes in the world, thanks to New Balance. So we're going to be out there as New Balance's guests. Um, and this will be my first time back at world championships um in quite a few years since since retiring basically do you think all the feelings are going to come flooding back genuinely i think um even thinking about it i get that kind of like jittery like adrenaline being in in the stadium and stuff which i know we've got access to and and speaking to the athletes about 
and reminding myself, I suppose, of the, the cool room and the nerves and the, the warm up and going through the rounds because I would have had to run three rounds at the championships, like um, just qualifying. So you sort of have to do, that was so hard for me just to get through the rounds and then you're mm. in the final and then that's about trying to win the medals and, and you've you've done all this stuff that's really hard and then people only really care about the medals bit. So all of that, yes, will come flooding back. So. Meanwhile, me and Rick are on holiday. <laughs> Yay! You're on a big jolly. Budapest, Rick will be desperately trying to find uh, a bottle, good bottle of Gavi <laughs> in Budapest. Yeah. Hungarian Gavi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you do such have... a snob, boy, snob Rick. Yeah, so do get your questions in for Andy. Me and Rick will be otherwise engaged. It's going to be fun. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah, so keep an eye on our, on our social channels this week because we may well be giving you the chance to ask very specific questions for the guests that we have and we're really excited. Mm -hmm about that stay tuned yeah <laughs> up next we've got questions rick mark from oxford i'm doing couch to 5k at age 40 i'm basically just starting out having done two one hour long weight sessions one based on hypertrophy hypertrophy yeah building muscle size hypertrophy and the other on muscle endurance in mm. the week for years i want to maintain my gym sessions and work in running in addition to that. In the absence of one of your nice watches and just having a basic one, how do I know how long I need to recover from each workout? Andy. Yeah, that's, that's a tricky one. Every time that you do a new form of stimulus, you're going to take a little bit of time to recover from that. But that doesn't mean that you have to rest until you're fully recovered. So if you, if you go and do a little bit more running than you've done before, do something new in the gym before, then you're going to get doms two days later. But it's okay to a point to run through that as long as that's not changing your running mechanics to the point where you're going to compensate and then end up getting injured because you're, you know, shuffling yeah. on one leg because one, one leg's doms is worse than the other. Mm. Um, so as long as it's just a bit of general overall soreness, then um, I would just not worry too much about muscle soreness from new input, but more go on your energy levels. So trying to work out whether you feel recovered, ready enough to go again. Early morning heart rate is a good measure of this. I know talking about not having a fancy watch to tell you when you're recovered, but if you can take a baseline of your resting heart rate every morning when you wake up uh, and then just keep an eye on that, if that starts to creep up, then yeah. you need a little bit of extra recovery time. And, and the thing is, your watch telling you when you're recovered, sometimes it tells you it takes four days when actually your body kind of tells you you don't need four days. Well, and that, that's that's four days on your watch is when it says that. It's, that's four days until you can do another hard session. So you can still right. run during that four-day period. But yeah, I wouldn't worry yeah. too much about the tech here. I would just listen to your body. Don't increase everything overall by more than 10% in a one-week period. That's key, isn't it? That's yeah. such a good fact. Mm. Yeah. Don't do more than 10% in one week. Mm -hmm. So if you are building on couch to 5K, yeah. um, then, uh, and, and life does get in the way, so don't feel like you have to cram stuff in like what I think what is likely to happen is that you have more time at the weekends. So if you are going to exercise three or four times a week, you go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, kind of cram it in. Mm. And then you've got all week to recover, but actually you probably do need to space them out if you can um, to give yourself every chance of kind of recovering properly. And I think it's good that he's going to continue with the weights as well because, yeah. you know, weight sessions so important. Yeah, you've probably actually got it the best way around, Mark, because most people will start running and then try to incorporate weights and actually the weights would be the thing that you struggle to fit in mm. more or well, that's what I found because I firstly started doing it by I was like great I'm gonna add in the gym I'm gonna mm. do it on my rest day no yeah it's almost better to to like take a little bit of time off your run and then almost go like run out the gym or straight to the gym and then do mm. your weights and then you've kind of done everything in that one hour an hour and yeah. a half period um if you are short of time yeah um yeah that's but what think I about do the overall my... volume still yeah Nick from Edinburgh but living in Burnham on Sea is that specific enough for you, Rick? 
very good. I really like that. Yeah, feel, feel free to give me a GPS location next week. I'd like <laughs> to increase my pace and wondered if and how I can work on increasing my stride length while maintaining my cadence without increasing my perceived effort. Or is it just down to fitness? I'd be really, really cautious about increasing your stride length um, if it's something you've had for absolutely ages. Yeah. I, 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 I saw someone at the weekend um, really pulling on their stride length when I was doing five like overstriding, overstriding. And I, I, I was chatting to him afterwards and he said, yeah, he's just try he's trying to speed up by increasing his stride length. And I said, well, how do you feel now? He said, well, I feel really sore. And I said, well, probably be a little bit cautious because if you're pulling yourself in, in directions yeah. your body's not supposed to go, then y y your body's going to find the, the, the easiest point of weakness and that's where it's going to break. I think it's like yeah. what we said before as well and that it, that shouldn't necessarily be the conscious thing that you're yes. thinking about whilst mm. you're running. So like maybe, okay, if you want to go faster, do a really thorough warm up, yeah. and then just think about speed. And it might be that your stride increases and your pace increases, but actually your body is going to self-optimize to what it needs to do. Yeah, Rick's hit the nail on the head here. And this is what we talked about fairly recently, I think on the podcast actually, um, is don't, your, your body's relatively good at self-optimizing. So it, it's already giving you the like, the most protective form of running. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and, and Sarah's right in terms of focus on something else. So in this case, I think about the more training that you do, the fitter you're going to get. But also if you can make your stride more powerful, then for the same cadence, your stride yeah. length will be longer without you trying to stretch your stride. Yeah. Yeah. And so that could be things like drills and really focusing on like an active foot contact directly underneath your hips. So if you use your hamstrings and your glutes, and if you're doing calf raises properly and all of those things, then when your foot hits the ground, you get a much more elastic uh, energy return, a much more elastic rebound. And that drive off the ground will be so much more effective that for the same cadence, you will have a longer stride length. But it's not thinking about I think if you think about a longer stride, you, you force yourself to land in front of your body, which mm -hmm. is a disaster. So don't do it. Yeah, I've definitely tried to do that yeah. in when I've really been struggling with pace and I've gone like, oh, maybe I should just try this. Yeah. It doesn't work. Just work on speed and drills. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that. So yeah, uh, maybe focus on the, the cadence itself and the power of your stride, not lengthening the stride specifically. Mm. And best of luck, Nick. Let us know what you're training for. Yeah, we'd love to know. And and whether that was useful and, and how you get on with it and trying to implement it because we can try and do a follow-up if you want. Mm. Well, another successful episode. Yeah, yeah oh, we got I'm through it. so excited about next week. Oh, next week is going to be so good. So excited. New location. We're going on the road. We're hitting the road. For the second time You ever. guys are excited for this road trip and I'm, look, look, look at my body language. I'm what, genuinely Why are you so worried? We're going it's, to Hungary. Yeah, but it's just, it's the... the that was that was my world for so long and I actually just feel so detached from it now that it's oh, a little bit scary. Don't you know worry what? about it. What do you prefer, Buddha or Pest? I'm hungry oh, yeah, just thinking sides, about it. River, right? Yeah, Buddha or Pest. I'll, I'll, I'll eat better spas in Pest. I'll be in Pest, you lot will be in Buddha. Tell you what, Rick, you know what you are? You're a Pest. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. And on well, that note, brilliant. we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Cheers, Buddha. <laughs>
If you want to check out the Under Armour Infinite Elite, head to the link in the show notes.